It's really excited about what God has been doing and your faithfulness. Uh, uh, two weeks' time, Lord willing, we go to uh, Africa and then we go to Uganda and to minister there. I would like you to invite you, as the Lord reminds you, please be praying for us. Uh, a few of us are going from the church. Greg Richmond, Ebony Green, Michelle and I, and then Peter Esmeason is going to join us too. And we're ministering to more than 1,200 pastors, and that's going to be a very, very special time. But we'd really uh, enjoy your prayers and partner with us by your prayer. That would make a big difference. I want to preach a message today called Looking for the True Gospel. Uh, Looking for the True Gospel. I want to drop a plumb line, as it were, just to um, have a look again this morning about what the Scripture says, just to realign ourselves with what the New Testament says about the way we should be living. Because I find that sometimes the way this world goes and the pressures this world exerts on many believers is that we can drift away from what God is calling us to. One day, the Sadducees, who were the, uh, the guys who were in charge of the high priest, the high priest every year was appointed by the Sadducees, And so they had a lot of political and religious clout in Israel. And they came to Jesus with a trick question. And the the question really validated their unbelief because they didn't believe that when you died, you went anywhere. They didn't believe you went to heaven. And they didn't believe there was a resurrection. So they contrived this what-if question and they brought it to Jesus. And Jesus, as usual, dealt with the issue at hand that was the true problem and not the trick question that they'd forged on his behalf. But Jesus said that he dealt with two things. He said that you you lack a basic grounding in the scriptures and you lack a familiarity with the power of God. Either of which would have given them pause, but together led them into arrogant blindness. And so he says in Matthew 22, you are in error because of two things. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Somehow we've got it in our hearts Sometimes people forge a religion and they're not clear on the scriptures and they've never experienced the power of God, but they, but they boldly proclaim a whole thing and the Bible teaches that, that they made it up out of their heads. But when you have a grounding in the scriptures and you live rooted in that the word of God dwell in you richly, that'll anchor you, that'll save you, it'll bring a clarity to you about who God is and what he's like. And then in addition to that, if you have a the power of God moving in your life, that'll show you some things about who God is that you wouldn't necessarily have just got out of theology. And so these two co-laboring, both the, the word and the spirit, the doctrine and the power of God, these functioning together bring us a full and clear picture of who God is. People told me that God was the God, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort And that was a theory for me until I had an encounter with God's power and I lay for two and a half hours weeping as God healed some of the wounding of my heart that had to do with my children dying. Then I understood what the scripture meant of the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Took on a different meaning, not because I didn't believe it wasn't true, but I experienced the power of it. And so part of what God is, I believe, calling and offering Uh, The church in this season is an opportunity to experience more of his power. Not power devoid from good, solid, grounded theology from the word of God, but power nonetheless. Because it is possible for us to forge a theology, excuse me,
It's possible to forge a theology not based on the revelation from Scripture, but the concoction, concoction of man-made premises that are strung together by popular opinion and basic philosophy of this world, as Paul calls it. Comfortable, established, usually arrogant, usually sneering, it laughs at any attempt at true theology and anything that experiences the power of God. It's a great danger of organized religion that it can tend over time to remove uncomfortable and confronting realities for more gentle and more comforting ones. We don't want to have to be out there on the mat wrestling with God through the issues of our life. Much better to be 10 steps behind in a, in a spectator's seat where somebody can give us a comfortable reasoning of everything that's going on. The explanations of who God is is much more comfortable than being on the mat face to face with him. And so you find this in Isaiah 30. They said to Isaiah, because the, the nation had begun to drift away from God, and Isaiah was trying to call them back, and he would confront them with God, and he said, this is what God is like. And eventually they said, stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Stop putting God right in our face, because it's very uncomfortable for us, Isaiah. Just back off a little. Just move away from us. We'll come to church. We'll do the holy thing on the holy day, but stop confronting us with God. Sometimes it feels that the church, if we're not careful, we'll drift into that place where it's more comfortable to have that kind of relationship with God than one where I'm face to face with Him in my need and in His glory. The gospel is uncomfortable and inconvenient and sometimes awkward in its truth. And this morning, I'm not trying to be controversial, or get edgy, or bring any condemnation. I just want to take a look at the aspect of this gospel that is a wonderful invitation from the Holy Spirit that God said, I'm going to send my spirit, and he will give you power to live the life I'm calling you to. Jesus called this the promise of the Father. Jesus was very excited about this reality, the promise of the Father, and he's going to teach you. It's magnificent news, but that kind of walk with God feeds off relationship with God. It is not fed by, uh, intravenously by theology. It's fed by relationship face to face. It's the stuff of the relating to God that Jesus loves. And he means to show us in the middle of that awesome, fearful, wonderfully exhilarating walk with him, all the glory of his power. So I want to drop that plumb line and say, this is what you were called to. This is the promise of the Father. This is what he wants for us. Because a religious life can be solely concerned with laws and principles. But a kingdom life thrives on relationship with the king. Religion can be established by talk, but the kingdom is about power. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians about people whose lives were not representing Jesus very well, says, listen, because uh, he, he wrote to them and he said, listen, guys, tell those guys to shine up a little, you know, get their lives in order. And they said, who does Paul think he is? He's, in his letters, he's weighty and forceful, but in person, he's not really much. He's a bow-legged guy with a big nose and a lot of scars on his back. That's how one of the extra-biblical guys, when he said, you'll meet Paul on the road, that's how he described him. Not much going on there. Not very forceful in person. And Paul said, hey, 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 I'm going to come. Listen to this, Corinthians 4. 
I'll come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. If you looked at the church, if you, if you came and you observed the church, you'd think the kingdom of God is a matter of talk. And Paul said the kingdom is not a matter of talk. It's about power. Can I just drop a plumb line over our lives? Kingdom people have power in their life. So I want to take a look again today at what the New Testament says about the power that's available for us, that's promised and expected for us. So let me take you to Romans 15 quickly. I'm going to rush through this. There's a bunch of scripture. I really wanted you to feel the amount, the full weight of the scripture because this is not one isolated scripture. This is everywhere in the New Testament. I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Gospel proclamation is not speaking. It's speaking and demonstrating by what I've said and what I've done. By the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul said, I'm not venture to speak except about what, God has, what I've said and done. He's quick to acknowledge that I, I put in some effort, but it was the Lord working through me. And then he speaks about the proclamation of truth. And he says, the way I spoke and the way I lived, what I said and what I demonstrated, these are important. And praise God for preachers anywhere whose lives are congruent with what they say. Amen. Because we've had too many preachers recently who's saying this and doing this. And I think we can all just say, could we, Lord, please help us with that. Please help us. I'm not pointing at the preachers only. I'm just saying we, we need to just be a little bit more clearer about this is what I believe and this is how I'm living. And there needs to be a little bit more congruence between the two. And even though those who preach are not perfect, but the scriptures that they're preaching from are, we just need to have closed the gap on the people who are saying things need to be a little more holy and a little bit more honorable and a little bit more respectable. But Paul said, I, I proclaimed and I did it by the power of signs and wonders and miracles through the power of the Spirit. Now this is what fascinates me. Paul basically says from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is basically all his, that's kind of the bookends of where he traveled. We started from where he finished in all his missionary journeys. But basically, he said, everywhere I've gone, I've fully proclaimed the gospel by signs, miracles, and wonders. And the implication is, if there were no signs, miracles, and wonders, that would not have been a full declaration of the gospel, because the gospel is not just a declaration of words, but a demonstration of power. By the end of this, you'll start saying amen. I'll prove it to you. Thank you so much. So it's become acceptable in modern churches to accept a rich diet of doctrine, but not any power. It's become so normal that anybody who actually demonstrates power is viewed with animosity and derision and skepticism. 
Is that, is that true? Is it just me making that up? And I'm just, I just see that and I go, um, the people who take the moral high ground in their powerlessness is starting to tick me off. Can I just be real? It just ticked me off because I'm going, look, I'm not, I'm not being weird here. I've got the scriptures behind me. I'm not preaching this, making this stuff up. This is what the Bible says. So the guy in his ivory tower of theology, who's never seen a breath of the wind of the Spirit of God's power, picking a fight with somebody who's demonstrating power. I'm going, that's a little weird to me, to be honest. And that's not to say that people who are demonstrating power don't need a little correction every now and again. Absolutely. Everybody needs that. I'm just saying, can we just drop, drop a plumb line? And can we just say, this is, this is what the New Testament says. should be power in our lives. Not just talk. If we're not careful, we can sit back in the cages that our theology has built and we judge with furrowed brow those who would dare to believe and who strive to walk in the plain proclamation of the New Testament. And now all of us, I don't care where you are, if you walk around in this world, you're gonna have to battle the layers of unbelief because this world will kick up the dust of unbelief and it'll settle on any heart anywhere. And we have to fight the fight of faith. It's not the fight of obedience. It's not the fight of faithfulness. It's fight the fight of faith. So we can easily back, back off settling into the secure embrace of sterile theology. And go, we've we got the right theology. There's us four and no more. We, we, are, we have got the real truth. And be comfortable in that sterility. It's what I call hiding from the light behind the pillars of truth. We take a doctrine and we magnify that doctrine to the point where we hide behind that pillar of that truth and we're sitting in darkness while we do it. Hide from the light behind the pillars of truth. And we make strangers of those whom God begins to use. Throwing out theology like a shield against our unbelief. Greg, what are we supposed to be living in? Well, let's do a quick recap, very quickly. Jesus wondered, Jesus looked around one day, saw where the world was going, and he said this, <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on the earth? It was a question in Jesus' mind. He watched the basic cataract of the world, the, the, the travelator, this world is going towards unbelief and, and cynicism and brokenness, and his people were fighting for faith and trust in God, and he looked at this thing and he goes, if this takes a while, when I come back, is there going to be any faith on the earth? Because it is a fight for faith. Paul warned, Timothy 3. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. And he goes on for another four verses. And then he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. Do you understand? Paul lumps having no power in with being lovers of yourselves and abusive to your parents. 
Paul exhorted and encouraged people and pointed out Ephesians 6. He said, finally, Paul's gone through a whole list of this is what you should do and this is how you should behave and these are the relationships you're supposed to have. And he goes, by the way, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why? Because he said, if anyone serves, it should be with the strength God supplies. He says, so now, listen, I've told you this whole bunch of stuff to do, but now be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why? Because the mighty power will help you do that with ease. Ephesians 1, I pray that you be strengthened in your inner man, that you have power to grasp the, the incomparably great riches, the incomparably great power for us who believe. He's talking about this unbelievable inheritance and the great power. He said that power that's available for you is exactly the same power that God used when he exerted and he raised Jesus from the dead. He said that power is for you. Your eyes be enlightened so that you can know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints and the incomparably great power for you who believe. Now, when we talk about God's power, it's not always talking about visible miracles and signs and wonders. Sometimes the power of God will just help you to grasp something, which is what Paul said in Ephesians that you have power to grasp, to understand the gospel. Sometimes the power will give you, because of God give you power so you can persevere through tough times. Sometimes God will give you the power to live a godly life when it's really, really pressured not to. Sometimes that power will, so it's not all spectacular, but it is all supernatural. Some of you are waiting for only the spectacular, and God will sometimes do the supernatural, and it'll look natural. Your, your, your ability to stand in holiness and persevere through a tough time, and everybody's expecting you to fold, and you don't. They go, oh, well, he's just a strong person. No, you know, and God knows that was his strength, his power that held you. Because he is able to keep you and to present you faultless. Not you are able to keep you. But it's also signs and wonders and miracles. Let's not forget that piece. It's also that. <laughs> okay, hold on to your hats. I'm going to go quickly. <laughs> signs and wonders and miracles must be a part of the gospel's presentation. You cannot find one place in scripture where Jesus commissioned anybody without giving them power to do signs, wonders, and miracles. Not one. Hebrews 2. This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The Bible says of Jesus, uh, of the early disciples, they went out and proclaimed the gospel everywhere and God confirmed his word with the signs that followed. Hello. Jesus said to his disciples, do not go out and preach until you've been endued with power from on high. Don't go and preach. You wait in Jerusalem. I don't want powerless people proclaiming a truth. I want empowered people demonstrating a kingdom. Kingdom is not about talk. Kingdom is about power. 
I don't don't want you going out there and just proclaiming truth without power. I want empowered people proclaiming a kingdom. Paul, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. To the 12, when Jesus sent out the 12, he said, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. To the 70, when you go into a town and are welcomed, eat what they set before you, heal the sick that are there, and tell them this is the kingdom of God near you. To all who believe, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons and they'll speak in new tongues and they'll pick up snakes and they drink deadly poison and will not hurt them at all. And they'll place their hands on sick people and they will get well. The 12, the 70, the church, every time Jesus sends anybody, he induces them with authority and power to proclaim not just words, but demonstration. (sighs) If you... I'm just dropping a plumb line. The proclamation of the good news is always comes with demonstration of power. Number two, signs, wonders, and miracles validate those who proclaim the gospel. It's one of the ways God says, I'm with them. These people are from God. Now, there's a counterfeit because the Bible says eventually in the last days the devil's going to send some people and they're going to do counterfeit miracles by the power of demons. Okay? It's going to be supernatural, but not wholly supernatural. It's going to be unclean supernatural. But the truth is, when somebody demonstrates real, authentic power and supernatural, people start to think, you're, you're obviously a person from God. That's what they said to Jesus. Teacher, we know you're a man sent from God because nobody could do the miracles you do without being from God. Now tell us, is it lawful to pay these taxes? And Paul and Barnabas prayed, people got healed, they could, Paul was bitten by a snake and didn't die. They said, these people are gods. There's something when there's a demonstration of power that people recognize God's favor and God's hand is on you. Thessalonians 1. We know, brothers, that God chose you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power. It's fascinating to me. When you preach, there's there's a confirming power that comes. That's what this gospel's about. 2 Corinthians 12. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Paul says I was very patient, constantly doing signs, wonders, and miracles. Why? Because those are the marks of a true apostle. Not only is the gospel validated by, by these things, but the people who preach the gospel get validated by these things. And if your theology, if your theology does not allow you to preach good news, if your theology only allows you to preach bad news, sad news, if there's never a moment when you're proclaiming the gospel that you, you throw something out there that is true about who God is that people have to reach up and grab by faith, 
If there's nothing in what you preach, if it's all sadness, God means for you to suffer and God wants you to punish you and God is going to put you through the ringer until you get holy. Then everybody just goes, well, I just better hang in. You know, here we go. But if you say God wants to save you and deliver you and if you'll listen to him, he'll show you the way out and if you'll take time and seek his face, he'll give you wisdom. Then people go, oh, I should trust God. I'm going to go spend some time. I'm going to go fast and pray. Maybe God will show up. Signs, wonders, and miracles are supposed to be the pillars of your faith. 1 Corinthians 2. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I don't know how clear it takes a theologian to confuse that. Paul said, I didn't come and I wasn't trying to be eloquent and I wasn't trying to dazzle you with my display of oratory. What I wanted was a display of the Holy Spirit's power for the specific reason that I didn't want your faith to rest on my dazzling oratory, but I wanted your faith to rest on God's power. People say, oh, no, 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 you can't, you, you can't trust in the miracles. No. What are you talking about? You're going to rip 1 Corinthians 2 out of your Bible. This is what it says. It's what Jesus said. Jesus kept on saying, they kept on saying to him, are you the Christ? He goes, yes. They go, oh, I can't believe it. We should kill, we should kill him. He goes, ah. Show us the Father. He said, <laughs> they go, you're not the father. And Jesus said, I've been telling you the father lives in me and he's doing his work. Don't you believe that? Mm -mm. Don't you believe that I'm in the father and that the father is in me and the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me. When I say, I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. And he could see. Boom, boom. Well, he said, well, then at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Have you ever seen anybody who raised the dead, or multiplied loaves and fishes, or healed everybody in the crowd, or commanded the wind to be still? or any one of the other thousands of miracles. If you can't believe the words I'm saying, believe the miracles I'm doing. Yeah. Oh no, we shouldn't believe, we shouldn't put our faith. I'm telling you, some of the encounters I've had with God, some of those moments where God showed up, they have strengthened my faith, they haven't weakened it. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, great promise still remains but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and with the Holy Spirit and his power you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth and after he said this he was taken up before their very eyes 
beginning of this year, I felt and I preached and I said, I feel like the Lord's bringing the church in the US to a crossroad. There is business as usual, think like the world, organize like the world, lead like the world, basically be worldly with a Christian sticker on. Is that church? Or step into a different walk in the spirit. There's a call to a brand new life. And some of you remember, I was preaching that pretty hard beginning of the year because I felt that, I felt like that's what the Lord was saying. And then a couple of months into the year, this revival began to broke out in Asbury and various other colleges. And the Lord began to say, here it is, you want some? And I guarantee you there's not a church in this nation that hasn't been provoked by Asbury or any of the other revivals. And every pastor in this nation, some of these people have gone to him, hey, what do you think about Asbury? And every one of them has had to make a choice. Oh, that's, that's not God, or that, you know, that's not, or I'm so hungry, I want some. It's not much in between. In case you were wondering, I want some. Man. That's who we are. And I just feel like the Lord's dropping a plumb line, going, hey, just want you to know that I really want you empowered. I want to pour out my power onto you. I want you to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I want you to know the incomparably great power for anyone who believes. I want you to know that when you go out in my name, I will be with you. And I will see to it that signs will accompany what you proclaim. So I want to close. I'm going to invite the worship team, if they'd come back up in just a moment. And I'd like to close with an invitation. Because I said to the Lord, I would love for another fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. Bible in Acts talks about Acts 2 and the Holy Spirit fell and uh, there were 120 in the room but to those 120 Jesus had already breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit then they're there in Acts 2 and then in Acts 4 Peter is taken and threatened and they come back and the whole church prays together and then it says the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word boldly they cried out to God and said Lord we thank you for this power we have we want some more we need some more. We're facing some threats. Give us boldness. Stir something more in us, Lord. And while they prayed together, the Lord poured out a fresh infilling. And I just, honestly, I'm just saying, Lord, I would love some more power in my life. I love this testimony we heard this morning. I want another hundred like it. I want ears to pop open and sicknesses that were gone. Some years back, a couple of years ago, Michelle had a frozen shoulder and it was really hurting and it had been going on for about five months and so she could hardly lift her arm above her shoulder and we prayed for her and our friend Kia Taylor came and uh, she'd gone to a specialist and they were talking operations and they were like, well, hang in just for a few more months. We can do the operation, but it's not great and it's not, you know, the mobility won't be. So we're facing some very real issues here because it's a very real condition and to other people, you may not think, well, that's not such a big issue. But to us, it was a thing. And so our friend Kia came, and Michelle said, I'm going to go ask Kia. And I was like, go. And Kia laid hands on her and prayed for her, and it's, oh. And it's just gone, right? Now, what's that worth? Turns out that's worth a lot in real financial terms. 
You know what I mean? I was going, thank you, Lord. That's for help. Then just more than that. The, the sense of God's presence, the hand of God, the enjoyment, the respect for a man like here who's dedicated his life to pressing into healing and sees more of it than most. Do you know what I'm saying? There's an alignment there that happens in our heart because of the power of God coming. Suddenly you go, oh, that's what's right. That's what's true. My hunger to see more power in my life and more power in yours stems from what I believe to be a true plumb line of the New Testament, what the New Testament calls for you. But I'm not one of those people who believes that God is going to force you into that. Yeah. I believe that God hides in plain view. I'm a grandfather. I play hide and seek with my granddaughter. When I hide from her, I don't make it difficult. I'm hard behind a pot plant that's one third of my size. <laughs> I hide behind the curtain and my feet stick out. I hide in plain view. The problem with that is if she decides she's tired of playing the game and I'm still hiding behind the curtain. <laughs> and God is hiding in plain view and the church for, in the general terms has stopped looking. It's not hard to find. He said, if you, if you seek me with all your heart, I'll be found by you. That's what Jeremiah said. And you shall seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Hebrews says God is the, the God who rewards diligent seekers. But God is hiding in plain view. He's not making it hard. The power of God is available. But there is a little issue of you have to come and say, could I? Father, me too. Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm open. Would you, would you fill me afresh? Would you empower me? I want to live the life. I, wanna, I want it to be authentic to the bone. The 90% of the iceberg of my life that none of you see, I want that to the bone to be holy and true and right. I want, I want power for that. I want power to proclaim this gospel. I want power to see people around me come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want power for my loved ones to find healing and strength. I need power, folks. I need more than I got. And if you're like that, I'm gonna ask you, won't you join me in standing? And let's come to our Father and say, Father, I need some more power. When we finish this prayer, the worship team's just gonna lead us and we're gonna worship together. But that's just really what's in my heart and I know it's in yours. And I know we're together on this. Father, we raise our hands and our hearts. We open them to you. And Lord, with a bold confidence, we say, Lord, would you wash us afresh and anew in the power of your Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and would you, uh, Lord, refill, freshly fill everyone in this place, Lord, because... We're not, Lord, bored and run away. We're seeking you out. Well, the truth is we need your power. We've tried, Lord, to do what you said. But we need your power, Holy Spirit. 
So right now, Lord, I release a fresh infilling the Spirit of God across this room all the way. I release, Lord, your power to fill and to, and to refresh. I release your power, Lord, to proclaim. I release bold faith, Lord, to see miracles and healings and signs and wonders. I release, Lord, the fire and the electricity of God into bodies and into hearts and into minds. I pray, Lord, that you'd open up our minds to understand your scripture. I pray that, Lord, we would capture something of what you're saying this morning and that, Lord, you would break into our homes, Lord, into our children's lives, that there would be demonstrations of power. Give us signs, Lord, and wonders for our children. We're happy to tell them the stories of old, Lord, but do it again in our time. Lord, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Now repeat them in our day. That's what the prophet prayed, Lord. We pray that again. So, Lord, I release your refreshing and your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.